Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Adam McRoberts, and this is my podcast, Do Big Things. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing, where we want you to do big things. We offer support for your ultra marathon in the way of crewing or pacing. We also offer personalized coaching and comprehensive training plans. We can help you get to the start of your big things, or we can help you get to the finish. Basically, we can coach you up, or we can crew you in. Whatever your big things are, we want to help. Big-things-crewing.com Listen, I'm feeling a little under the weather today, so I'm going to make this short and just get right to it. My guest today just completed Nolan's 14 in 53 hours and 57 minutes. Nolan's 14 is a big link up of mountains in the Sawatch Range of Colorado. There are 14 peaks over 14,000 feet high. It's a 100-mile point-to-point adventure that one has to complete in 60 hours or less for it to officially count. Hannes also had a bigger cause that he was after while he was completing Nolan's. He carried a different sign to the top of each peak. Each sign had the name of an American that was unjustly killed by a police officer. I want to apologize for the sound quality of this episode, but hey... Both of us live in the mountains, and this is free content. What do you want from us? Just kidding. Eh, sort of. I mostly feel bad because this was one of my favorite conversations, and it was just an honor to have Hannes on the program. He's coming up right after this. Yo. Hey, Adam. Hey, what's up, my man? How are you doing? I'm great. Never better, man. How about yourself? <laughs> I, I don't think I would say the same applied when they said never. <laughs> uh, I've been a little better, but I'm not as bad as I was two days ago. So, you know, we're making Tell progress. Me. Tell me, how was it? How is how how you feeling? <clears throat> I'm sleepy and hungry all the time. <laughs> I feel like I spend okay. it feels like I I wake up and then 20 minutes later, I'm sleepy again. So that, that's been the recovery so far. But uh, otherwise, the body seems to be kind of coming back to some sense of normalcy here. Good. Yeah. Good to hear, man. Fair enough. Well, listen, man, I'm super pumped to chat with you. Thanks for uh, joining me on the Do Big Things podcast. Um, introduce yourself, my man. Yeah, well, I'm I'm excited to be on, Adam. I appreciate you even giving me the time and the opportunity to talk to you. It's always fun. Of course. Uh, yes. Well, my name's Hannes. I I really just have a passion for ultra running. I've been I I, I tell my friends I I try really really hard when they ask if I I do trying hard for five years at this ultra running stuff and. Um, you know, having had the opportunity here just recently to, to finish Nolan's, that's just about all that's on my mind and how proud I am to join a really, really small club of folks that, um, have been able to finish that line in under 60 hours. Hell yeah. Well, <laughs> no one's a big deal, man. Uh, I've spent a lot of time out there researching that line and, and scouting and I have yet to check it off the list. So uh, believe me, I'm I'm thoroughly impressed. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, a lot goes into 
a successful attempt and one of them is just, you know, luck. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Everything has to go your way. I mean, a million things have to go right in order for you to pull something like that off. But, uh, but you did it, man. So hats off. Congrats. Thank you very, very much. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, just, just looking at your, your social media and everything, um, you weren't just doing Nolan's 14. It, it looked like you were also like almost trying to, to send a message out there. Um, what was that message you were trying to send? Yeah. I, I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to talk about that because that was, I think, in in the end, by far the most important piece of my attempt. Um, the, the overall message was to, to bring 14 names of Americans that were unjustly killed by police to, to the top of each peak and hope that that message kept those minds, uh, those, excuse me, those, those people's names on our minds. Um, you know, I, I kind of instantly go to uh, Eric Garner and that name has, has stood out in this process just because it's been so long. And um, we all, I think have recognized that there's, there's, I shouldn't say we all, I think there's been a lot of us that have recognized that there's a problem in our country with the way that black Americans are being treated by police. I felt like I saw a really small way, small opportunity for me to maybe just raise some awareness and keep the conversation in a place so that it's not another six years from George Floyd before we see progress. Um, so thanks for letting me kind of expound a little bit on what I dedicated my entire Nolan's attempt to and um, definitely found that to be a, a powerful and in a very spiritual way, a, a powerful experience um, to couple my attempt with something that was completely and utterly bigger than myself when by and large, when you think about Nolan's, it's just such a selfish endeavor there's not really any other way of putting it it's this thing you're very much <laughs> attempting and doing it for yourself um and I, I i was really excited to kind of find a way to make it about something that was a lot greater than me and mm-hmm. and in the end i i most certainly found that powerful when i was out there too um just going up the peaks with with a name in my mind and half the time trying to fight back tears just because it's such a a tough thing to really conceptualize um and so anyways i, I dedicated everything to, to black lives matters and hoping that if if anyone out there maybe saw that or was inspired by that um that you know that we we keep the conversation in a place that moves our country forward and especially in this subject yeah, no, that's really cool, man. I, I really appreciate that uh, that you did that because you're right. Nolan's is sort of a, a selfish endeavor. You know, you're, you're trying to do this big thing that, you know, takes so much of your time and your crew's time and everyone's there to help you. And, you know, I want to hear all about your journey because I just love all things Nolan's. But no, I really appreciate that you uh, were able to step outside of yourself and, and try and support a bigger picture. And, uh, you know, the Equal Justice Initiative is doing some fantastic work, and I know you're a supporter of them, uh, especially with uh, the, their criminal justice reform. And um, 
what would you like to, to see done over the next few years? I mean, if, if you had a, a, if you had a magic wand and you could just make something happen. Yeah, I, wish, I wish that I had a magic wand. I also have magic solutions for an issue that is as big as mass incarceration. Um, I think starting to see progress where I think the first thing all of us want to stop seeing is I want to stop seeing videos that don't make sense to my mind. You know, Mm -hmm. I think it starts with just an end to um, (laughs) lethal punishment in the field of police work that there are, there are better solutions. I, I think for me, one, maybe you call it an idea or something I keep talking to friends about is that there are, there's, martial arts there are some really creative ways that you can use um physical force without it being lethal with a gun yes yes 100 percent. i'm with you man so something something maybe in that regard i actually struggle a, a, a tiny bit with the um defund the police mentality i i i very much think there there may be an excessive amount of money going towards that realm but for for me it's more about perhaps realigning where funds are going and redirecting what they're going towards so something like that where you have some legitimate uh program that allows an officer to feel confident with a form of martial arts that can take down you know one this isn't even a name that i took to a peak but there was one name of a 50 year old lady who had mental issue, mental health issues and came at two officers with a hammer um, and was killed with a bullet. Well, you know, I just feel like there's an opportunity there for a trained police officer to take that individual down with a non-lethal format. Um, you know, karate, uh, jujitsu, Muay Thai. There's, there are a lot of ways that, I think an officer could improve their ability to de-escalate a situation without lethal force. And I think that's that there's there's a lot of issues when it comes to systemic racism and and racial inequality in our country that probably will take more than one year to fix. But when we're looking at specific police brutality and um, I I just think there's a big opportunity there to do something quickly. I don't think it has to take. Um, five, 10 years either. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Are you a practitioner of martial no, arts? No, you know, I say that as somebody who's untrained, okay. I don't think that I could, I Good. could really um, be the person that trains that <laughs> or has, or leads that program up in any way. But it, of you course, know, it was a thought yeah. when, when you just asked that, I think, the best solution that I have is doing something that redirects how we're responding to these scenarios and that there's, there is a better alternative than, than death. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, and of course I'd, I'd like to, when it comes to a lot of these names, I would love to see more direct <laughs> um, response to the officers that they're not, it just feels like there is there is no justice yeah. in some of these scenarios that are caught on video. It feels really blatant and, and obvious that there was misconduct. So. 
Yeah, for sure. No, I've seen so many videos where he, these officers just don't know how to handle themselves. They've just never, um, you know, practiced self-defense. They don't know how to handle hand combat, and they just rely on their weapons. Uh, I've, studied, uh, I've studied a little jujitsu in the past, and and just just having a little bit of experience gives you so much uh, confidence and ability just to handle another body. And uh, I, I also agree with you. I mean, it, you know, 20 years ago in my old punk rock <laughs> days, I, I would have been on board with on the police thing because I, I wasn't a fan of cops. But, but these days I, I see, definitely see a, a need for, um, you know, the police force, obviously. And uh, if anything, I say give them more money and, and definitely give them more training. So I, I'm with you 100%, man. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree with just trying to make sure that they're giving an alternative option, um, even in training, to do it in a different way. Than what we got. Yeah, yeah, for sure, 100%. All right, man, well, um, take us back. Let it, let's rewind. Growing up like you, I want to hear your story. I know almost nothing about you. And how did you eventually find Ultraman? Well, uh, so originally, I college basketball. And I moved out from Oregon after after college. And I was, uh, I was just kind of the stereotypical ex-college athlete story. Gained a bunch of weight. Um, got, I, I got very soft. And uh, I was... And mentally, then I I was a little unhappy as well. You know, I wasn't playing a sport. I didn't have something to direct any of my competitiveness to. Well, the weirdest thing happened. I actually I adopted a dog uh, about eight years ago when I was kind of in this stage of a uh, little bit angry at the world, kind of unhappy with my myself and not sure where to direct my energy towards I adopted a dog and <laughs> all that actually ended up leading me to running um, that along with one other big event. My, my dog just kind of got me out on the trail, showed me hikes. Our, our second 14er was now massive. And I just kind of fell in love with um, everything about trying to see how fast I could move uphill and, how long I could push myself. My dog is this little 40 pound machine that can absolutely go. So I always joke that Ollie led me to pops and that that was ultimately what led me to ultra running. There was a point where about seven years ago now, I had a, a, a rollover accident down between Pagosa Springs and Durango. And it was just this really surreal experience where I, um, you know, there, there was no negligence or, or, or kind of, um, it, I just wasn't paying attention for one second and I rolled off a mountain cliff going 60 miles an hour and absolutely nothing happened to me. It was just the most lucky rollover accident you could imagine. And I remember thinking, uh, I just want to pursue my passion. <laughs> I don't, I don't care. Life could literally end just could have just ended right now. Um, I, and, and I decided in that moment I was going to pursue ultra running with 
my whole heart. And I didn't really even know what that meant. Just knew that I wanted to put my time towards my true passions and the things that made me happy in this ultra running world that I had found, um, which really started out as me just hiking really long distances <laughs> and, uh, and then realizing there were a bunch of other crazy people that kind of like doing the same thing uh, that ran races. I, uh, that was kind of how I got into ultras originally and um, this mountain stuff. Wow. That's cool. Um, so going back, uh, what kind he's of dogs did you adopt? We, we're not positive. We've never done a DNA test, but he's a little uh, shepherd uh, healer mix. Probably. Okay. Okay. Um, we have in the meantime, we've, got a second one and my girlfriend has one so we have a full house of three dogs um <laughs> but you know ollie really does take the cake for kind of being the endurance machine he can he could really really go i have to limit his mileage i joke because you know I, I try not to push him to anything unhealthy but he can he's pretty impressive <laughs> yeah no same thing here man uh I'm on my second golden retriever and uh, the one I have now, she's just a puppy. She's uh, uh, 11 months or so. And same thing. I have to limit her, her mileage. Oh, totally. you know, she could just go forever. <laughs> same with my, my, my other golden, you know, I, I didn't run her. I, I did run her a lot, you know, but I feel like I have to be careful saying that so that people don't jump out and say, Oh, you're running your dog too far. You know, she had adequate go. rest days. She had a lot of small rest days, but she had a lot of big run run days too. I mean, she was definitely an I, ultra marathon dog, and uh, we did, we did some big days in the mountains. So yeah, I, get I think that's it. the I love key it. is if you know anybody out there that is looking to maybe run their dog a little bit more, it's treating it the way you would treat yourself, which is with proper rest, building building your base the right way, uh, and making sure that you understand where you're at with your own fitness so if you've taken a month off you don't go out and try to pop off a really hard 30 miler uh you, the same thing with your dog you know you just gotta <laughs> know where they're at and try to be pretty conscientious um about how you're training them so to speak too i know people would say to me i didn't know dogs could run that <laughs> yeah. far but really, like the people who were saying that probably didn't know people could run that True. far either. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so, um, did I see that you have like a, uh, a dog walking or yeah, a dog I running actually, service? I run them. It's close to both of those, maybe a little bit of both. It's a dog hiking, uh, business that I run out of Denver here. So, um, think like a, a doggy daycare where, Instead of I actually go to pick the dogs up at each door and then go take them hiking in the mountains and and come drop them back off. So, yeah, I love I love what I do. I can't even I can't express uh, my level of happiness with what I do, my gratitude for my clients and um, this small but awesome little business that I have brewing here in Denver has been an absolute blast. So, yeah, thanks. So are you watching the dogs overnight? Yeah, it's just a, a one day type. It's of a thing? day service. So primarily for folks that they may have busy work lives and mo it's Monday through Fridays. Um 
where you know somebody's okay. working on calls all day they can't take them out obviously and that's where i come in and pop them up to the mountains for a few hours and come bring them back exhausted um and that, the, yeah so that's the idea tails and trails dog your hikes so oh that's so cool <laughs> i'm jealous man i mean I, I'm just picturing you running and hiking up and down these trails with a bunch of dogs and just wagging tails. It, it, it really, like a dream really job. is a dream job. I think they say combine your your passions and try to for them. Um, so I, I get out there hiking in beautiful places. We really do. We do a good job of getting up into the mountains and not being on local trails. We really try to get up there. So that part's neat. And then I. I just feel so fortunate. I, I work with the best good good boys and girls, you know, just such awesome little smiley, waggy-tailed, um, incredibly behaved dogs. So I, I feel very fortunate with um, what I do. <laughs> That's so cool. That's so cool. All right, man. So, um, so yeah, you had this big accident and it sounds like, it could have been um, life altering. I mean, you could have been seriously injured in this accident and it just kind of gave you a new perspective on life. Um, I, I love, I love when people come from something like that, you know, something happened mm -hmm. and then something changed. Um, that's, that's a crazy story. So I, can you elaborate on that or like, well, it was, what was that like for you? I'd never been in a, a car accident of really maybe like a fender bender, but not, not a true real one. So there was a lot of kind of PTSD sort of symptoms initially that I was working through, mm -hmm. but I, I just knew, I knew right away um, I had a really deep confidence that I was completely okay I remember talking to the the ambulance drivers who were really trying to encourage me to come to the hospital. And I just said, I don't know why, but I know I'm fine. Um, and I just, I know I'm fine. And in my mind, I just knew that I was meant to pursue something um, maybe a bit different than what I was doing. I spent 10 plus years in a, a financial, I was a financial advisor. So I spent of my career in this world that wasn't really I always call it jiving with my conscience it just wasn't really the, the place I wanted to be it didn't really work with the way my moral compass was set up um, and I didn't care enough about money to to be in that world so it started steering me towards just finding an alternative and making sure that while I was in that world that I was 100% um, pursuing this at the time it was, I wasn't even sure what it was. I just knew that there was this community of ultra running. I'd run a couple of ultras and I just had this feeling that maybe I could be kind of good at it <laughs> or maybe it was a desire that I wanted to be kind of good at it. Uh -huh. I, I, I knew that mm -hmm. you can, for me, at least, I find it. I'm really kind of an all-in guy, and it's hard for me to split energy towards multiple things. Um, if 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 I'm not 
all in. I kind of feel like I'm frustrated that I'm that I'm not, and I'm not pursuing something else to the, the degree that I should. So I always, I think from that, just was driven to make sure that this brewing passion of ultra running is something that I made the priority um, as much as I could. I mean, there's there's always a, li- a balance of life, and um, that's always kind of the challenge. But I knew that that I'd found something that was a passion that I did not want to suppress. And, you know, when you, there, there's no exaggeration. When you see a light flash like that. It just kind of resets your priorities and resets whether or not you cared about money uh, in the first place. And I really in the right place. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's a, a good enough of elaboration, but I do think, I even the, the funny part is I actually skipped the Grand Traverse forty mile race. That was, I was supposed to run it the next day, and I just I, I didn't, um, <laughs> which I suppose isn't that surprising. But I, yeah, I understandably didn't so. end up making it to that one. Um, well, well, that's awesome, man. I mean in a way I sort of had a similar experience. Like I, I sort of had this near death experience, you know, years and years ago. And, and same thing here. I just knew that, that I, I just had a new outlook on life and I knew that I was here for some sort of a reason. And I wasn't sure what that was. And I guess, you know, many years ago, maybe that was the start sure. of, of big things crewing or the idea of do big things. You know, I just knew that I wanted to go out and do, these big things. And I didn't even, at the time I wasn't a runner. I didn't know what big things were. I just wanted to go out and kick a lot of ass and like fire other people to do the same. And I I had no idea what that looked like. And I just slowly started on that journey. So I can relate a hundred percent, man. So then, um, so, um, so you started running when you got your dog um when did that eventually turn to races and and ultra running i did four pass loop as a like backpacking like by backpacking i mean i I took maybe 17 hours total of of hiking and i just thought it so fast you know i i could (laughs) there's probably like the record was like two hours shorter (laughs) than that you know in my mind i just thought that was really impressive and uh these two guys stopped me on the trail and they'd seen me running downhill which was kind of what i did i just hiked really hard and then jogged the downhills and they asked me if i I ran ultra as a trail runner and i was like oh no 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 no, i'm not a runner no i'll I'll never be a runner And, (laughs) and they really encouraged me to look into trail running a little bit more and a week later i went up there and kind of you know suffered through the last four miles but for the most part I had a really blast of a day and, um, I, I truly truly fell in love with the community that was around ultra running my first true ultra was um, Beacon Rock 50k and I remember I was cramping like six miles in no exaggeration I was cramping pretty much from the outset and obviously went out too hard. Obviously had no idea what I was doing, but I was blown away by how 
many folks were willing to help me. It didn't feel like this competitive crew of people that were trying mm-hmm. to elbow me out of the way. Now that they saw I was suffering, they, they asked me if I needed help. They, and this is, I'm this, like, I just came from college <laughs> basketball where, you know, it's very much like, Hey, I gotta, I gotta beat you out for minutes. So it's really kind of tough. And I, I, I was instantly in love with that element and that community piece of ultra running where people were, were more likely to put an arm around you and help you than try to kind of nudge you out of the way <laughs> to, to get past you. And I mean that more as an analogy, because I hope nobody would ever do that in a race, but it just, it was, uh, it, I, I absolutely fell in love with the way that ultras worked from aid stations to my crew being in different spots to um, the, the competitive piece in, in me. I, def, I love competing and I really enjoy um, being able to see how my training stacks up compared to other, other people. And um, so just kind of everything that ultras encompass, I fell in love with and um, you know, from then I've been on this little journey where I feel like last year was kind of the first year that um, it felt more, you know, like I had some success versus mostly failure uh, until then. Um, and nice. it's, been, it's been fun to have that. And then Nolan's was this kind of like, I don't know if, what to compare it to, but it feels like that you know after having done four 100 milers and and lots and lots of ultras nolan still just kind of felt like this massive reach of a endeavor that's like arrogant to even think about potentially finishing it just feels like who are you um to think you can do that so that's kind of that's been the journey there well yeah. Well, yeah, no, I get it. Nolan's is, is just so big. And uh, listen, I don't want to make this about me by at all, but I can relate so much to what you're saying. And it was the same thing for me when I got into ultra running. It was just like the community was so cool. You know, my very first ultra, I made like four <laughs> best friends that I'm still friends with to this day. That, you know, I'm at the race. And I just remember going to these aid uh-huh. stations and everyone was so helpful. And like, just the feeling of it and the vibe and everything just swept me up and I was just all in right away. So, you know, and it sounds like you were kind of the same way, just like one of those guys who, you know, once you do your first race, you're, you're all in, you, you go home and you start researching. Oh, like, totally. Can I sign up and for another race? Yeah. I mean, stop taking time away from people getting to know me, Adam. This is, this podcast is obviously all about me. I think it's, <laughs> I think when you relate, it's completely okay to share your story. And it's, it's awesome. I think there probably are a lot of us that, um, that feel similar where it, it seems like there's kind of one, of, you go one of two ways. If you do an ultra, you either truly, truly fall in love or you're like, you know what, one and done. And I'll never do that again. And I was, I was much more the former. Um, I, I, I couldn't wait to try to, you know, I I probably overdid it initially with doing too many ultras too close and not really making enough progress on, on speed in between and, and different little things. But I, yeah, you nailed it. I, 
I was combing through what the next race would be in, you know, in my recovery mode with legs beat up and uh, soreness lingering. I was trying to find my next race for sure. Awesome. That's the coolest. Cool, man. So, um, so yeah, you mentioned that, um, you know, starting last year, you started finding more success with your runs. Um, what, did your yeah, training well, change or how did that happen? It happened. One, I think the, the single biggest key to getting better at ultra running is just consistency over time. And I knew that I was getting to a point where I was really close to reaching some of my goals and starting to have some more success. I, I would truly give, I worked with David Roach for almost a year and I, I would give him a, a tremendous amount of credit for teaching me how speed can be incorporated, um, how to better use workouts to improve my running and, and just how important um, being faster is in ultras. And while, you know, in a lot of during the race, it's not really about your training. Um, there is a, a need for that. I, I'm not with David any anymore, but I I think I'd be disingenuous to not give him a lot of credit for um, you know the the things that he taught me and and both and and the the actual development of speed in my running. I just got, I got faster on flats and. Um, and downhills and then kind of combined with my own mentality towards training um, and wh- what I like to do with with getting really verty with things <laughs> or vertacular as I like to call it um, uh, that <laughs> nice I like it. I, yeah I was able to <laughs> set the course record at never summer um, 100k I, I won my first ultra out in Oregon uh, at Stumptown 50k and it was just this, I think there was a piece of me that felt somewhat of a sigh of relief that, you know what, maybe a total pipe dream and you're not chasing something that's completely unrealistic. Uh, I, I have a lot of respect for the Never Summer course. I believe that on a focus course that the record was broken this year. So um, John Ray holds that now just to give credit to where it's due. Um, but yeah, I I think there were there was that and that element of David teaching me a lot, and then I think my own consistency over that the last three years had just been excellent. I didn't I didn't miss training in the winter. Uh, I didn't miss training in the summer. I, I had a really lucky stretch of health. I, you know, I think it's as you're pushing volume and as you're trying to um, improve your running, I think it's, it's hard to stay healthy. It's just this delicate challenge that you're constantly trying to, to balance. And I was really fortunate for two and a half years. You know, there's things that come up, but by and large, I just was able to train um, for, for healthily um, for a few years. I also, you know, when you, when you start having these, there was a point in 2017 where I just realized I'd never really been running uphill the way I was capable of. And it's, I 
probably was a partially mental breakthrough. But there was just a, a month where I, I just experienced running uphill as being easy. And it was this massive breakthrough where I started being able to do training that I'd never done before and was running steep climbs that I just never in my mind thought I'd be capable of running. You know, when you when you have a breakthrough like that, it just leads to really massive breakthroughs in your training. Um, like most sure do you think that uh some of that success came from specific speed training yeah i do um uh, yeah i I absolutely think that well in in 2017 it was more i think for me personally it was actually more a mental thing that because i didn't start doing workouts and and any sort of speed work until I worked with David and that was, um, 20 uh, at tail end of 2018 and and most of 2019. So uh, the, the breakthrough and some of the progress that I had kind of been making up until then, I felt like I was really on a a good track and going in a, in a good direction. I think one of the big reasons I wanted to work with David is I was, I was, probably getting close to overtraining and not that anybody has this like perfect barometer for what overtraining is or, or where that starts, but I was getting a a little bit um, rambunctious with training and probably pushing the envelope a little too much. So initially when I, I wanted to work with him, it was as much as just trying to get myself under control and have somebody give me a little bit sure that I wasn't doing too much. Um, but and, you know, I think coming back to your question, it wasn't as much that I was doing, because I wasn't intentionally doing workouts back in 2017. I think looking back, I accidentally was kind of doing a few, but I didn't know it and I didn't know any better. I, I just had this mental block that in ultra running, we're supposed to hike uphill. And, and I think when I got, you know, the, the way that I was introduced to my first 50 K having gone so horrible and cramping for literally like 45 K of it, I, uh, I, I think I just had this really humble <laughs> approach to, okay, I need to just hike uphill more and I need to stop thinking I'm Superman when I'm in a race and I got to really pace myself. And I overdid it and I would overdo it in training and it held me back to where it was almost like I was never really trying, if that makes sense. Like 
um, I mean, you're kind of, you know, obviously like you're, you're still working hard and sometimes you'll, you'll even sweat a lot and be really beat up at the end, but never during maybe let's say one of my long efforts, would I actually try hard? And I think there was a, a breakthrough in 2017 where I, I just recognized that maybe isn't, if you want to get faster, that maybe that's not the, the best mentality that you should try hard here and there and um, try to run some stuff that maybe feels uncomfortable and puts your heart rate a little bit at unease. And um, so that to your question of, you know, workouts, I think it was that I started incorporating intensity uh, that wasn't there before. And when I did, there was this massive base of endurance that, that I built uh, and the progress on running uphill and, and getting faster was massive because well, I'd never really done any intensity work. Um, so I think that, yeah, that's how I would answer that. Gotcha. Cool. Very cool, man. Um, and so then when did Nolan's come into the picture? Um, when did you first hear of it? And when did you get a bug that you know, maybe, maybe I should go out <laughs> well, there and do some scouting? Yeah, because I've like? spent a ton of time in the Sawatch. I, I've been in uh, in the, the Sawatch range I'm just a massive amount. But the amount of time that I'd spent on the Nolan's line was actually fairly minimal until a couple of years ago. About five years ago... Uh, might be six now. I had a coworker who asked me if I knew about Nolan's 14. And, you know, like, I, I thought I was this ultra runner and I couldn't believe that my coworker <laughs> knew about this really cool mountain route and I knew nothing about it. So, <laughs> but then I looked at it and, <laughs> you know, I started looking at the amount of vert and that, that was insanely daunting. And then when you start to try to, look at oh, okay well where where do the trails take you and you realize there are no trails for like 75 percent of it 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 became this mythical thing that i wondered could i ever potentially maybe do that uh and every time i i, I started thinking about it i was more enthralled with the race and more interested in running um, a race i really i just genuinely love a hundred milers and these community races like run rabbit run up in steamboat. I just, I get a kick out of the whole experience. So I, you know, I can't really deny that, but with this year UTMB got canceled and that was, that was the goal. Originally I started realizing there was an opportunity. Um, two years ago, I, I helped my friend Luke J. He, he was, he became a finisher as well. And I was able to, you know, accompany him for seven peaks. And I, I, you know, I, the number of times I told him I'm never doing Nolan's during that was probably a no, an annoying, <laughs> but I, I'd spent, that was kind of the first introduction to the route and actually being on it. I did a, a ton of it at night. So I, it's not like I learned a lot during it. All I learned was, holy mackerel, this is heinous. Um, and there's a lot of really gnarly, <laughs> rocky, bouldery terrain. So uh, two years, two years pass, and here we are in the COVID 2020, 
and the with every race being canceled started to become clear to me early early spring i realized that i figured race all, i just kind of had this hunch that all races were going to start getting canceled and it was becoming more clear and i realized it was going to be the year of nolans for me um then uh, late may scouting mount princeton uh with a couple of my buddies avery and and devin i actually did a, i did a front flip I stepped on some rocks and it was like there was a cave underneath me. Uh, just like an air, obviously it probably wasn't a cave, but oh, just no. an air pocket and these rocks just collapsed downwards. My initial response was just kind of to hop up to get over and I, I hit my shins, did a front flip and it was, just felt like this cartoon fall um, where I, I injured myself and I was out for the month of June. So then I was back to... Like, okay, is, is Nolan's really going to be a go this year? I just have profound respect for what it takes to be ready for Nolan's. And I thought in my mind it would require a near perfect year. And it's been anything but that for me from a training perspective. But, I, you know, when that happened, it just kind of felt like, ah, you know, 2020 is just, it's given it to us all in a way that, yeah makes Nolan's feel impossible. Uh, but I have this little dog hiking business and I had a, a PT that really encouraged me to keep be, being active. And he said, keep hiking, keep hiking your dogs, just keep doing it. Um, I want to, because it was a muscular thing on my bottom right back. And I, I owe Opie a ton of, a ton of credit because I did stay active. I wasn't able to train, but I was able to stay relatively lean and just hike a lot, which by and large is probably the best training for Nolan's anyways. Um, and then started getting sure. better in, yeah. in July and I started having, I mean, obviously I wanted to spend more time up there scouting prior to that but i just started dedicating my free time to nolan's i mean i was i was w making my work be tuesday through thursday i'd take friday through monday and i'd spend five days scouting um and i did that i think i there were mm. three months and two weekends where i decided to go to somewhere else other than the swatch so i i spent almost every every day I could I'm really lucky to have a a little van that um, I can sleep in that's comfortable and we could use to kind of do some shuttles with and and train really well on the Nolan's line I haven't counted up my days up there but I, from July I'd, I'd be surprised if it's less than 30 that I spent on on the line I just went kind of gangbusters on putting massive day after massive day on the line. And I think anybody who spent time scouting Nolan's can attest that it feels like every time you rescout a section, you, you learn something new <laughs> and you're like, I thought I knew this part. And <laughs> here I am sure. like reveling you in the fact it. that I just figured something really sweet out about, Oh my gosh, that makes way more sense. I'm so excited that, and um, and as much as anything, Nolan's is this it's like a delicate game of finding the route that best suits your strengths. 
And, and, you know, every time I was out, I was learning something new about the line. I was figuring out something that made more sense to me. Um, and, and even so the, there were a lot of challenges this summer with all the smoke, you know, that, that, that was really what forced me away from the Nolan's line that the couple of times that I went somewhere else was just to try to dodge smoke. Um, and then it, we have this snowstorm September 9th that just threw an, a new wrinkle and wrench into everything that, that I was planning. And um, I kind of been thinking early September, I could potentially be ready. And September 18th was originally a date I'd played around with. And then that happened. And I, I'm, I'm re-scouting sections and realizing I won't be able to take certain lines because of how bad it snowed. It just was, it was like a, a two foot winter storm dump up there on Nolan's and <laughs> on September 9th. Uh, so I, uh, that kind of made me readjust. And I think for, for a long time, I was really interested in pushing for, for the record and, and having an opportunity to potentially be kind of in that category. I think with the way that the year played out for me with training and then the way that the snow had come, I realized that that probably wasn't even a realistic goal to, to put on the table. And that was one of the, one of the reasons that I started thinking about the black lives matter piece and carrying 14 names to each peak was just thinking like, maybe there's an opportunity here um, to, to make this about something bigger and to not focus so much on yourself when you're already just by doing this silly thing, focusing on yourself. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the, the Nolan's timeline for me. And, and even so the, you know, the night, the, the day before, cause I started at midnight, but the day before I just, I've been nervous before races, but I've never, I've never been this nervous. <laughs> um, I just, man, it, it, I think anybody who's, who's attempted and, and certainly anybody who's finished can attest that those nerves the night before your, your, your attempt, it, that was something fierce. Um. <laughs> what, what exactly? Were you yeah, I think there's so many, it feels like there's so many factors that are out of your control. I, I think my biggest fear was HEPA. So high elevation pulmonary edema, I believe, when, you know, the altitude gets to you. And I, well, I had, yep. I'd done a ton of acclimating. I'd been sleeping in my van up there, like close to Mount Sherman, trying to get as high as possible. I still just had this, this fear of, of that. And I think that there's just, for me, I have a massive, massive respect for what Nolan's 14 takes. And there, when you're in mountains like that, there, I think you need to respect them. And I think you need to understand that you are not fully in control. Um, and, and that that may sound like, oh, you're not being determined enough or whatever. I, I, for me, it's just the level of humility that I prefer taking to to something where when you're on the Nolan's line, the mountains control what's happening. 
and you have to have a lot of luck to be able to get to the 14th peak and down it so i think there was just this like oh my goodness are you the most arrogant guy in the world to think that you're going to be able to finish this tomorrow like this is and you're you have all these friends coming to help you like and then you know i i guess deep down i felt like i knew i was going to finish and i i knew that I was never, I think the reason it took me five years to toe the line of Nolan's in part was I was not going to start unless I felt like I knew I could finish in my heart. And usually when I get to that point of determination, um, things have worked out pretty well. (laughs) Um, Maybe I'm just a really, really stubborn guy, but I don't think Nolan's is just about determination either. They're just... (laughs) all these factors like how cold is it really going to be on the peaks tomorrow and i know i've checked every weather app on earth but they're not always perfectly accurate and then you know like even what we ended up dealing with in the the first night we had just these blistering winds um one of my pacers got knocked over we were on the oxford belford missouri section so we actually spent a lot of time above 13k there and and we had these gusts of 50 to 70 miles an hour that were absolutely obliterating us so i think i had these fears of like what is nolan's gonna throw at me and what is what is nolan's gonna ask of me that i i'm not foreseeing (laughs) and i'm not i'm not preparing for mentally uh and then there's this the daunting nature of it's really, really far and super steep. <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, I have this I have a friend, Justin Ricks, who he looked at me one time and he joked. He's like, Hannes, you know that like to do this stuff that when you think you're Neo, you're Neo. And, you know, a, a reference to, to the Matrix and the obviously Neo's the one he can do anything and nobody can stop him. He can see the matrix. And I think there's an element of that, that you have to take into even starting Nolan's that I had, but I also had this genuine and real uh, fear and humility of what I was about to undertake and knowing that it was going to ask, you know, more of me than any hundred miler I'd ever ran, uh, I'd never gone past 25 hours before. So I knew there was kind of this really long section of mystery as to what it was going to look like past that. Yep. Yep. Wow, man. So just listening to your story, I mean, if you would have been listening to the signs that were being given to you by the universe or whoever, um, it sounds like this would not have been your year. <laughs> well, now it feels <laughs> it like, like I made a lot. Almost a lot everything of was against you. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, I think pr- probably everyone who's, <laughs> who who spends quality time on the Nolan's line and trains hard for for Nolan's is putting their testing their body. They're putting themselves in a position to potentially get get hurt here or there, and um, that it's not like you're going to come through Nolan's training unscathed no matter what, <clears throat> but 
Yeah, God, doesn't it feel like 2020 is kind of done? I just feel like I have one friend after another that we all kind of have a story of how 2020 has really thrown it at us. And um, <laughs> so I think there's a lot of people in that boat. I would not, you know, I would not say that uh, having snow on the line and attempting uh, Nolan's on September 24th is an ideal start date in, in my mind that I wouldn't. I wouldn't have chosen to go that late uh, and, and paid the price in some respects for sure. But uh, yeah, I think at the end of the day, I bet if you went to each and every single Nolan's finisher and really uh, had an in-depth conversation with every single one, the amount of tenacity it took to endure what, they were that what they had thrown at them by Nolan's, whether it was in training or during their actual effort. I bet everyone has a really, really compelling and inspiring story. Um, so for me to, to complain about whether it's the wind or which was, I mean, energy wise, really taxing for sure and challenging uh, beyond words of anything I've experienced in mountains. And, and and even the snow on the route um, forcing me to go kind of off the line I wanted to take on a number of sections. There's, there's just no way to make Nolan's easy. And um, I think, I don't know if right. it was harder. I don't think that's probably the case. I think just about everyone that, that got to the, the fish hatchery or, or did it the other direction and got to Blank's cabin and finished Nolan's had, they all have um, a really inspiring story of just how challenging it was and just how hard um, it was. And so I, 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 yeah, it was not an ideal year, but I, I sure as heck don't want to make any excuses over, you know, I, I knew that I was in a place where I, I felt, you know, I, it, let's look at it this way. I'm, incredibly fortunate and privileged to still with everything that happened with doing a front flip on a, in a boulder field off, off Mount Princeton to not end up in a hospital um, that, that it was a, that it was a small muscular thing that took me out for a month versus a year. Um, I, I think end of the day, I could almost flip it and just say, I got lucky to have things not go wrong enough to, to be able to still, be in a position on September 24th to make a really strong attempt. Um, so yeah, maybe not, not ideal, but it wasn't, it wasn't so bad that I wasn't in a place to be able to finish Nolan. So I'm, I'm also very, very lucky to, to even be towing the line of something like that. It just takes a lot of support from family and friends and, I lent, I leaned on a ton of people during the process. Um, they, they know who they are and um, not just my crew during the, the effort, but prior to and in training, there were just so many people that helped me, whether it was dog sitting or shuttling or um, just, just encouragement. And when I would come off of a peak hating Nolan's and not wanting to do it because it was so crazy and texting a friend who had done it and him, you know, keeping me positive. I just, I had a lot of people that 
that made this a possibility for me um, that I leaned on and um, you know, the, the whole, it takes a village, man, that is just the truest statement when it comes to Nolan's 14, you got to have people, really good people in your life that um, care about your passion, your crazy passion to, to Nolan's 14. <laughs> definitely yeah for sure so um why did you decide to go uh, south to north question what prompted I, the midnight start <laughs> because i wouldn't start at midnight if i did it again uh so i learned <laughs> i learned the hard lesson but the south to north <laughs> a lot of it had to do with my introduction to the route i think i I had been introduced to the route that direction. So I had the most route knowledge. And then seemingly I always cared about how how fast I might be able to do it. Not that it was the only thing that mattered. I think Nolan's is about finishing in the end, but I I certainly didn't mind seeing how fast I might be able to do it. And it did seem like the faster efforts were going that direction. I went back and forth in training on what I thought was actually the faster direction. I hadn't, I still haven't made up my mind and I think only time will tell. Um, but there, there are a lot of descents sure. that I really like. I'm a pretty good downhill runner. Um, not necessarily on incredibly gnarly technical terrain, but just overall I feel like one of my strengths is definitely downhill. And I liked a lot of the descents that direction. That, that said, you could make some of those arguments going the other way, too. Um, ultimately, it, it ended up because of the way um, my summer worked out with missing a lot of time. I wasn't able to scout. I would have tried to scout both directions a bit more, but I really only had the ability, I felt like, to commit to one direction. So part of it was just sort of default. I, I had started scouting that way. I, I kind of lost a month of, of scouting potential. So I just decided, you know, I'll, I think I'll just stick with this direction. I know it the best and it's going to hurt really, really bad either way. Um, I kind of like, I like the concept of doing massive. It's just a lot less Nolan-y than the rest of the course. Um, it's not, you know this, it sounds like, but it's not. Technical. Just the thought of seeing Mount Princeton coming off Yale, going the other direction. I just, man, I think I couldn't get over that that picture. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think there's a there's like a definitive <laughs> answer on which direction is for sure faster or better. I think there's definitely arguments for both. I had planned to climb East Missouri Ridge. I'd done it um, twice in training and felt really com- comfortable on it. And I'm, I say that as somebody who's not like a climber and not okay. incredibly good with exposure, just to be really clear, I just felt like this suited my strengths as far as came to, you know, technical climbing on a ridge. Uh, I just felt super comfortable with East Missouri that that down down climbing that not as much <laughs> but going up it going up it north i felt like that's right. a, that was actually something i used as a, a pro towards going south to north 
because it's faster. You don't have to, you don't really have to descend and gain extra vert. It ended up being so windy when we were up there with the gusts and we were getting moved around. Um, my, one of my pacers literally got knocked to the ground. We just couldn't in good conscience go over East Missouri Ridge in those conditions. So we went all that scouting. And um, uh, of course, in the end, Nolan's didn't even let me do it. Um, but <laughs> that was kind of the reason I thought, and I think maybe you'd ask something else. I'm sorry if I forgot. No, that's okay. I'm curious. So then if you skip the Missouri East Ridge, did you drop over to the yeah, east you, side and just skirt around there's a, and shoot up Missouri? You just kind of drop a little bit off Elkhead towards the south and traverse over. Uh, I yeah. had a little moment right there just because mm-hmm. we had spent about an hour and a half getting pelted by the most winds I've ever experienced. And uh I just sat down for a second. <laughs> I, I, I can't confirm or deny if there were a couple of tears shed, but there may have been. And and uh, and I, I still remember one of my pacers just looking at me and just saying, just remember why you're doing this and remember what you're taking to each peak. And uh, so then... Seven hundred feet uh, to a thousand feet of elevation gain. When you're starting to, to be that deep in the pain cave, I was just really looking forward to being able to climb the ridge, and not having to to gain extra vertical. <laughs> so <laughs> all of that experience was so was was really disheartening in in that that section for sure. Yep. I was up at 14,000 feet over the weekend and I just did Grays and Tories with a, a buddy who, you know, it was his first 14er. And so I just wanted to kind They're of beautiful. get him out and give him the experience. And then, yeah, it was just so windy. For us. And then when I saw that you had finished on that weekend, I'm just like, Oh my God, like how it was just so windy. <laughs> was it not windy down there? But it sounds like yeah. up against it the during whole the day it was, it was bearable and uh, I had, I had a lot of layers. I wasn't even cold when we were, it, it just, so when you, Oh, that was the other question you'd ask, you know, midnight start. And, and if I did it again, I would, I would have thought start, it yeah. through differently. Be, the idea behind a bit, the midnight start for me at least was that I would get to Columbia Harvard during the daylight. So it was really simple. I think that section's, okay really slow if you push it at night well because i i my attempt at getting pushed back so far to september 24th i didn't have as much daylight as i needed to even i made pretty good time getting to columbia really kind of on my splits of where i wanted to be um going a little bit slower than i thought what i could be pushing to do which is was my mentality towards all of nolan's anyways to survive but and, you know i got there right when I wanted to, but I realized I had, I still had this mentality that the sun was going to be up as long as it was in the longest days of summer and hadn't really done the math 
as well, you know, initially the, the attempt would have been like early September or late August. And in a scenario like that, I think I would have had an hour extra probably to, to get through that and, and have enough daylight for the section I wanted to. But in the end, I, I ended up actually by starting at midnight and finishing when I did, I think I did eight of the peaks, uh, eight, eight and a half of the peaks in, in the night. And like five of the peaks in the daylight. So I actually oh. maximized my nighttime hours. So anybody out there looking to do Nolan's, you, you probably want to think that through <laughs> better than I did. Um, yeah, if I, if I could have chosen, I would have loved to have daylight for the well, Oxford Belford section because you're up there for so long. Just, I, did you sleep up till midnight? Because it just seems like, you know you were probably awake till almost midnight and then you're starting on, um, you know, while or after you've been awake for a full day or, or did you, yeah, I went to bed really at two super early but, the day before, um, you know, I, yeah, okay. I, uh, 2 PM. I had, I, I call it turning my clock up. So when I have like a race and there's a 4am start or a 5am start or even 6am, I try to in the couple of weeks leading up to the race, I try to turn my clock up and I go to bed really yeah. early and I start waking up earlier so that when 4 a.m. hits, it feels normal on race day and not. But to, to be really frank, it didn't really work that well. <laughs> it, it had been working fairly well. I've been able to fall asleep earlier and earlier. But the the, the day of because I, I went to bed at 2, 2.30, I didn't fall asleep until probably six thirty, and that's that's exactly why. If I did it again, I would have I would have started at like four a.m. or six a.m. something in the early morning and just get a really solid night's sleep and make that the priority. Because in the end, I didn't. I probably got a lot less sleep than I should have going into the midnight start. And you're right. If I if I just done like a euro start and done a 6 p.m 7 p.m start go straight into the night and do the first night while you kind of feel good but the concept mm -hmm. was or the hope was i could fall asleep sometime before four and maybe get eight eight hours ish um and it did didn't really work there was a stupid <laughs> fly that kept falling on my face and buzzing around and <laughs> it was kind of the most hilarious thing where looking back there was this tiny fly that kept me open it kept me awake for probably three extra hours uh, <laughs> which is actually hilarious now but oh, yeah <laughs> oh it's crazy okay so you must have done at least the first three peaks in the dark did you do princeton in the dark as well no, I was able to, the sun was coming up as we got to the top of Princeton. I was okay. up six, okay. six hours on the nose to the base of Ontario and to the start of Princeton. So I did the first three peaks in the dark, which, um, yeah, I felt like I was in some sort of ice climbing movie coming off Tower Watch as <laughs> I was trying to use some of the snow patches, but they were so, they were so glaciated and hard that, I just started sliding um, and, oh. and, and had, had like these a couple of moments where I, I was wondering if Nolan's was going to happen because it was starting out so erratic and reckless where I was sliding down glaciers 
um, into Boulder Fields, but surviving it. So, you know, that's kind of the game. Yeah. It just sounds like you had so much adversity, like just everything leading up to it. And then even as as you started as well, Um, were you using micro spikes at all? No, no, I had, I just had, yeah, it had been three weeks since the, or maybe it was two weeks since the snowstorm and it had been so warm and I just, I don't know if it was reckless optimism or trying to be too, too hopeful about what the snow scenario would be. I, I just had, I I think a, a little bit of a naive, um, idea of how much snow might be on the line and and i don't know you know when when things are night it's it's also just everything is a little everything's different in the dark and um i i didn't anticipate some of the snow or i would have brought my poles over the first three peaks uh probably not spikes because it just wasn't an enough to need i could have I could have avoided the snow had I not, had I thought it through because I thought I'd be able to punch in just enough to be able to to use the snow during the day. The snow was too punchy, so you'd actually go through it. And then at night, it was so hard that you almost kind of instantly lost control. So if if I could do it again, I would have I would definitely have taken my poles over the first three peaks so that I could have um, stabbed in a little bit and and at least kept traction that way on on some small sections but yeah <laughs> now i feel like now i feel like i've made made my nolan's attempt sound way way harder than it you know nolan's is really know. hard and it's it is really hard i'm glad that someone else is out there suffering as well because <laughs> every i've made has been just excruciating and I, I love hearing all this stuff because uh, you know, I, I spoke with Joey Campanelli uh-huh. after his successful uh, attempt this year. And, and uh, you know, I, I tried to get out of him these same sort of things. Like, I was like, dude, like, explain to people how hard this is. And he's just like, ah, it's not that bad. It's not that technical. And I'm just like, dude, who are you? Yeah, <laughs> I just, I, he, he is, um, yeah, special in that regard, uh, apparently, because I, I'm, I love mountain running and I'm a pretty good technical runner. Uh, I've run a lot of really technical courses pretty well, like never summer. And um, I, I, while I feel like I am modestly good at them, uh, there, there is nothing about Nolan's that is easy. And, and I think (laughs) there's, there, there sometimes is a little bit of a naivete um, and nonchalance to, just how dangerous Nolan's actually is. I, I really hope that anybody, anybody listening and anybody considering doing Nolan's really looks into the route deeply, spends time on the route and understands just what it means to be walking through a shaky boulder field when you're eight 14 ers deep and your legs are jiggly um <laughs> it's to me and then i'm not trying to make nolan sound harder than it is either it's it, it's a choice to put yourself through it and it's, it's it's a choice to go make a a stab at trying to be a finisher 
So, you know, I'm not trying to make it sound like, oh, woe is me that it was so hard <laughs> because it, it was, it's something you put on yourself. But I think sure. I, I have, I, I just hope that folks really understand how, how challenging, how dangerous the, the route is and that you need to make sure that you are prepared in every of the elements that you can be. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's completely out of your control. So you really have to control the elements that, that you can, like your, your fitness, um, you know, maybe don't be stupid like me and start at midnight when it doesn't make sense and get a good night's sleep. Um, but really trying to control the controllable variables, uh, because like with my experience, there were, there were just some variables I didn't anticipate. I didn't, and maybe I should have, and probably should have, but I didn't necessarily anticipate as much snow being around as there was. I thought there would have been more melt off um, along a lot of the, the, the sections that weren't as melted as they were, should have been, um, should have been, I, I had hoped would be. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So no, and, and, and I'm also not perfect at really, really technical running either. I have a ton of friends that are far, far better than me uh, at running some of this type of terrain. So for me, I'm, it's not necessarily like the whole course is maybe Joey's one of those folks that just it's more suited towards it, the, the exact thing he excels at and loves to do. Um, but yeah, there, when you're when you're falling as much as you do, I mean, I fell a bunch. My, I twisted my ankles. I have a high ankle sprain on my left ankle. It, it, and those things are just, they're going to come up. You're, you kind of have to expect that you're going to bash your toes a bunch. Um, and all these really painful things are going to happen to you. And you just have to, you know, decide if you, you care enough to keep moving forward. Yep. Yep, you got it. No, I think that your description of it is is uh, highly accurate, and uh, I appreciate the, the candid honesty for sure. Um, do you have any uh, secret routes over Princeton? <laughs> no, <laughs> Princeton are not. Oh, man. Princeton was my nemesis, both in it. it snow basically what. Scott, everything I could again just to see how much snow there was and what I what I could or couldn't do and Princeton was one of the peaks I probably was able to do like seven of seven eight of the peaks in in those couple of weeks on the line and Princeton was one of them so I wasn't able to go um there's apparently a seat a, a, a nice line off directly off the top of Princeton that allows you to yes. stay somewhat in dirt not quite as much on shaky boulders but the snow had filled that line in so i we tried it me and a couple of friends that helped crew me um devin and kevin we we tried to take that route and there wasn't really a choice in my mind it was so punchy the snow and it was it was almost just more frustrating than trying something else so I ended up taking, I think, I believe it was my fourth time down Princeton on the Nolan's route. And I took a completely different line than I had done the other three times. 
and I, we ended up liking it. We actually ended up being really happy with our decision to go that route. We just kind of, you skirt the ridge, you stay straight on it and ended up coming out further down in the valley than a more direct line. But it worked, given the conditions, it actually, it worked out really well. And time-wise, I didn't, I, I, I had had six hours in my mind for that section that I kind of wanted to hit. And it, I, I think I was like 601 to avalanche. So kind of nailed what I was hoping to do through that. Beautiful. Cool. And uh, what about Yale? Did you go up Hughes Gulch? We, we went up. Um, if, if there's a secret spike tree route, Adam. That okay. There is a spike okay. tree at about uh, eleven two. My friend is going to kill me for sharing this, but that's just how it is. <laughs> so we most people take. It seems like most people take the Colorado Trail going up Yale. And then, then skirt East Ridge, which by and large it is really direct. It, it, it's not really direct, but it's such a clean trail that it's kind of nice. <clears throat> and I just, I really had a hard time deciding on that section. So I ended up just using a comparison of my own splits of what was the fastest. And there's a ridge that is to the left. I, I wouldn't be able to. And decided I would wait until to see how I feel because there are some sections in Nolan's where you're doing 3,000 feet of vert over two miles. And I just think you only have so many of those in your body over 100 miles. And so I, I kind of told myself I would see how I feel. I felt really good and decided to take the really steep ridge. Um, I think it was the right choice. It just, it's very direct. It takes a lot of distance out and it takes you off the, that East Ridge, which can be very slow. Um, it, it cuts most of the, the ridge off. Got it. Got it. Okay. That ridge would have been pretty windy, I'm yeah, guessing, too. Uh, the wind wasn't horrible yet. It was starting to pick up. It was Princeton. Princeton, actually, you know what? Princeton was terrible. And then on Yale, I don't, for whatever reason, the way that we we were going, I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. The ridge itself would have been a lot more windy. But even once we got up there, yeah, it wasn't bad, which is funny because Princeton was practically blowing us off the mountain, too. <laughs> Just a few hours later, I guess. Um, did you? Wow. Did you come down the airplane gully? Um, that, was, that was another okay. decision that was a little bit harder for me to make because they're, they're people take going off Yale. And, well, ultimately, partially because I was being supported and crewed that I felt like that, that route made a lot of sense. Um, okay. And okay. I wanted to connect to the Columbia Trail as, as quick as possible. I'd felt like and this ended up being true. I felt like I could run most of the trail to the Columbia um, 
to the new segment they'd built and yeah. and and luckily mm-hmm. was was able to and my thought was if i can just, i just want to get to the trail as quick as possible because for a while there it's this really kind of mellow grade a lot of actually sort of flat trail before you really start climbing so um yeah airplane gully made sense (laughs) the downfall was extra special because of the storm we had on september 9th and the winds and um so the the latter part of the airplane gully was not fun but (laughs) it it still felt like like I'm not no i was able to keep i was actually able to get across the creek without getting my feet wet um and there wasn't any snow left lingering in the, in the trees so from that perspective i got i was lucky but just the blowdown of trees and and branches yep. and um, yep. i don't think i think it's always bad down there so i don't think it was probably anything that much different than anybody else that's gone that route has experienced but it man that part is not the most fun <laughs> oh, no. oh no it sucks either way you're going north to south south to north it's it's a pain for for almost every i've never heard anyone uh, no go have a good time there. going up there wouldn't be any rough. fun either <laughs> no for sure Okay, and then uh, Columbia, Columbia to Harvard. Um, how did you get from? Uh, so to Columbia there? to Harvard, I I had a goal of skirting around the Boulder Field. I just I felt like I could run Tundra better than I can Rock Hop. Um, I'm not I'm not okay. overly confident that it's faster necessarily, but a lot of Nolans for me when I was making route choices was about making a decision that would put my mind in the best place and kind of put me in the most positive frame instead of kind of anguishing through something and knowing that Nolan's is going to be really hard anyways. I I thought that's a section where if I skirted the boulder field, even though it adds a little bit of climbing um, and a tiny bit of distance that I could actually do it faster and just with less mental anguish, so to speak. Um, So I, uh, snow affected things the most we just kind of had to go in in and out in and out of, of snow fields. i had a friend luke who was i had helped in his finish a couple of years back who was really really helpful during that section kind of navigating between snowfield boulder field um i think we we did relatively well with the line we took it wasn't ideal but it it, it went well enough and um i man i wish i could have done i just love that section it's so beautiful the what how long you're up there and i really was hoping to do it during the daylight so i was so bummed that we were doing it in the night i i really was looking forward to that just the visual elements of that section (laughs) during the day All right, and then um, let's see what else. Uh, Oxford, Belford, you mentioned Missouri. Um, I, I think the the rest of the route is fairly standard. Do you have any uh, other secrets or any other uh, special routes that you took? That <laughs> no, most people don't gosh, know about? I don't. I definitely don't know what um, what people know and don't know for sure. I think. Um, 
Where do you find? Yeah, I looked at a lot tracks? of GPS tracks from from Joey's to Sean Van Horn. Sean Van Horn was just incredibly helpful um, in direct communication. Almost, it felt like daily. I was asking him questions, um, and he was more than more than forthcoming, which is really neat when it's somebody that's as as accomplished as he is. And you know, I think it kind of feel like you want to hold route knowledge to yourself to it to a degree because you went out there and scouted and you did it and so i i just really appreciated his help um i looked at gary robbins line and jared campbell's a lot as well uh, a friend of ours john knotts luke jay i had a, a, a ton of lines that i was exploring and looking at and what i what i kind of kept coming back to is there's there's really there's like main routes and then it still just comes down to what you prefer and what you like. So going up Huron, there's not really, I don't think there's a magical, every route goes about the same. But once you get to the gully, I think you can do yourself a lot of favors if you hug left. And um, there's a lot more stable rock than if you go directly through the middle of the gully, which will feel like a, a vertical treadmill where you take one step and go two steps back. <laughs> um, and in, in scouting a couple yes. of, in yep. scouting that, I think I did that three times and I was able to finally on the third one, I, I looked and I was like, man, maybe I should try these big rocks on the left. And sure enough, it just made that whole section a, a lot less painful. It's still pretty steep going up that part, but it's not nearly as painful as going through the center of it, which really is just so loose. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So how are you feeling at this point? Like as you're heading up La Plata, are you feeling pretty good about things? Um, and and wh what was going through your head over the last couple peaks? I mean, Albert and Massive are, are just huge peaks. There's a lot of mileage to go. I, well, I was, um, I was dreading coming off Huron running into Winfield. I don't know why, but in my mind, I was just thinking, oh, I bet you're going to feel like you should be running and you're going to be hurting so bad that you can't. I kind of had this like fear that I wouldn't. And then it, to my surprise, I was running actually pretty well running into Winfield. And um, yeah, I, I didn't awesome. expect to be kind of like running sub 10 minute miles going into that, which sounds really slow to any runner. I get that. But for where I was at running nines felt like a huge victory. And, <laughs> and then no that kidding. was probably, you know, the Plata, South the Plata. Um, nobody should ever do it because it's my favorite section and really beautiful. And there's nobody ever back there. So if we could keep it that way, it would be great. Um, <laughs> but that section was by far my favorite because I, I had my girlfriend, Marin join, who was my crew chief for the entire event itself. And um, I, I was just had been looking forward to doing La Plata. And then th my legs felt, you know, as, as things go, they felt great. So I was really excited that I wasn't in massive amounts of pain <laughs> and that I had my best friend next to me going up and down the peak. And I even um, snuck my, the dog Ollie that started it all for that peak got to tag along, which I'm sure there's some purists out there oh, wow. that are probably really frowning on that. But I, you know, he's the dude that led me to the Sawatch. <laughs> so I feel like 
it was only right that he joined for at least one small section. <laughs> so I felt oh, that's so cool. Yeah, there's somebody say, "Oh, he probably no, pulled you up on a leash." Well, it doesn't count. He was off, so that <laughs> that that, could, that hopefully I don't get judged for. I usually keep my okay. dogs on leash. I'm actually really good about doing such long runs. I I believe in limiting. You know, like, let me know, by the way, there are some really crazy temperature swings that you're putting me through um, because it was in the 70s going up that climb. And overnight, I've been, you know, in sub zero or sub 32 temps. And so we yeah, we I, I ran that descent probably a little bit too fast coming off La Plata. I was feeling good and getting to a point where I just was determined to get it done with i didn't i didn't want to sleep i didn't end up sleeping um i i'd hope not to go into the into sunday night but you know that's i could realize i kind of could realize that that was probably going to happen at that point and i just wanted to get it get once you're over here on the plata it kind of feels like, man, this is like, this is really going to happen and it starts to get exciting. So there was, there was a rush. There was just this kind of feeling of holy mackerel. Like I'm, I'm absolutely going to get this done. And um, it, that's a really exhilarating feeling when you've been in the pain cave for just that long. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Wow, man. And then, uh, so Albert I'm, is just a huge peak, massive, another huge peak. Um, when you finally made it to the top of massive. Oh, I just like, bawled my eyes out. Um, yeah. I mean, I was like, I was crying <laughs> on the fall summit before we even got to the, the true summit. I just, yeah, I, it's, you know, you're going on so <laughs> nice. such sleep deprivation. I think I got up there in 51 hours. everything that was um that i'd just gone through from the physical exertion to just sheer sleep deprivation um and you're again into the second night thinking like your body is just telling me i need to go to sleep um and then there was the genuine emotion that i had i had one true goal all day and that was to get the 14th name of George Floyd up to the 14th peak. And um, I think, you know, early on there were a few names like Tamir Rice and Breonna Taylor, where I just um, not to make myself sound like too much of a crier, but I, I did, I just kind of got emotional over. And as I got close to the peaks was, you know, was crying a bit and, massive was just a culmination of all of it so the combination of um you know thinking about george and 
uh, how how tragic that is, uh, and then uh, the the immense level of pride that you just feel for your for your accomplishment. There's no denying that for me that there was just <laughs> this uh, surreal feeling of pride. Um, the the greatest I think feeling in ultra running is the finish line. You know when you're when it when it whether it's your first 50k or 50 miler or 100 miler, that feeling is really really special. And um, the the feeling of summiting your 14th peak on Nolan's is <laughs> indescribable for me. Um, you know, so many years of looking at potentially doing it, so much time spent on the route. Um, and just so much planning for, from, from my perspective, by my standards, <laughs> I'm not a good planner and I, I really plan super, super hard for this attempt. And then you just, it all comes together where weather was good enough. Uh, I didn't get hurt bad enough anywhere along the way. I had some really painful feet coming off Albert where, I had, should have listened to my crew and changed socks earlier on, um, but was stubborn and didn't want to. <laughs> and, and I ended up getting these really gnarly kind of hot spots on my feet that are the biggest pain that I'm dealing with even now. Um, but other than that, I just felt like I'd gotten so lucky to be as healthy as I was by the 14th peak. I had two guys Devin and Kevin there with me on the summit and it was exactly who was supposed to be there you know um, and the, yep. the moment of going up there was yeah it's not something I'll ever forget that's for sure did you have pacers no with I you did the entire I time? did the first three peaks alone um, and then I decided Devin was really proactive wanting to help. And I realized it probably make my mom feel better the more more peaks I have folks with me for. Um, <laughs> and and truthfully, it feels like if you're, you know, if you're going to go supported, you kind of I guess my mentality was you may as well go supported. Um, so I I was really lucky that I had just an awesome showing of friend i mean i just i can't thank my crew enough and my pacers enough they were they just showed up for me um in this like we've talked about in this really super selfish endeavor i had uh, over 12 people that just went above and beyond i had uh, a group of four folks that sat for two hours on top of elkhead pass to resupply me we ended up missing each other, but they, you know, they, they just went, yeah, I know. Oh, no. um, but we went above and as far as my crew, they just above and beyond and being there, um, being available and malleable with the fact that my date for my attempt just basically kept getting pushed back week after week after week. So yeah. 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 Yeah, that's so hard, man. I mean, you know, you you plan a date, you know, you're you're working a work schedule around it, and then that, your crew is also, you know, 
putting in for vacation time and, and trying to juggle their schedules as well. So when you can make it all happen, it's it's pretty special. So sounds yeah, like I, you were lucky I had, in that regard. I had friends that like I I I think I had a post on on social media about this too, but that the this feeling loved kind of concept it gets thrown around. I genuinely I don't think I've ever experienced or felt love uh, from from friends in the way that I did in this this endeavor. It just I had people show up, and, and it's a lot easier to get excited about your own Nolan's attempt, but for other people to feel like they're genuinely excited about it too and push comes to shove uh, that that was yeah, it's it's probably what i miss most about racing really and the reasons i chose to go support it in a way um amongst other reasons too but one of the big reasons was that i just i miss the the crewing element i miss the camaraderie of, of racing where you come through an aid station and there's just a bunch of good people volunteering with these incredibly positive vibes that they're bringing your way and um, all of that that you get from a race, uh, I felt like I was able to experience in Nolan's. And while it's certainly not the, the purest way of no pacers, no crew, it, it to me was actually one of the elements that made my Nolan's experience so, so special in a year where that isn't really happening in a ton of places and there just aren't a lot of races going on. Yep. Um, how did you celebrate? <laughs> I'm curious. When you made it to Fish Hatchery, uh, did you just crash and fall asleep? Did you celebrate with a big meal? We had some champagne and beer. So I don't know. Carbohydrates, but not, not necessarily a, a true meal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd, cut out, I'd cut out beer uh, for about a month, which for me is a, a pretty big accomplishment. Yeah. Um, I love beer and no problem admitting that, but for Nolan's, I decided that it, it didn't, it wasn't going to help me. So by the time I think I was actually to my Nolan's attempt, it was like a month and a half. That. So, um, I was really looking forward to a beer, even if it was 6 a.m. I didn't care. We had beer and we sat around and talked with, with, I think there was about six, seven of us, eight of us there and um we just kind of talked about the experience for a tiny bit until i started falling asleep in the chair with a beer in my hand <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's when uh my girlfriend forced me to go to sleep um so <laughs> perfect dude that's perfect right there i love it um, I know you've mentioned a lot of names as, as we've chatted, but um, do you have, do you want to give any shout outs to people that helped you along the way, man? It sounds like this definitely wasn't. A no, endeavor. no, it wasn't. And um, yeah, I'm proud and happy and wouldn't change the, the fact that it wasn't a solo effort for the world. It, I think it made the whole finish so much sweeter to have all these people involved from Alicia and Doug, uh, who, who watched my dogs the entire time, um, Luke and Casey, who paced me through the, the night sections and some really gnarly wins, uh, Kevin and Devin, who have brought up, who were just there for me uh, the entire day in um, ways like that thank you just doesn't feel enough for. Um, 
uh, <laughs> with Chloe and Alex and Brandon and Caitlin. Uh, Brandon paced me over here on as well. Uh, and then, you know, my crew chief extraordinaire, Marin, who really, I think, made everything tick and the, the entire day really work from coordinating rides to coordinating pacers and um, just being there. So, yeah, thanks for giving me a chance to thank them because, man, uh, yeah. the, telling them I love them and um, even seeing my buddy Ryan Phoebus kind of going up. Uh, Albert, he he walked us through a line in the dark that I probably would have been a little bit too incoherent to do as straight as we did. So I have um, I have incredible friends. I'm incredible grateful for them, and uh, it's always amazing when people are are willing to rally around somebody else's passion uh, the way that these folks did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's beautiful, man. Well, listen, Hannes, I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you, man. I mean, uh, you're a, a great uh, a great conversation, and it, it's just a great story listening to everything you've been up against this year, and uh, you did it, man. <laughs> so it's, it's been an honor, honor chatting with you, man. Just I have a blast talking, talking Nolans with anybody, so um this has been uh just fantastic what's uh i mean i know you're going to be resting and recovering or at least i hope you are but like yeah I have... also i know pretty much at the end of the year <laughs> but do you have plans for my year? my goal for next year is to be at utmb uh i have lofty yeah. ambitions i have no problem admitting that and um i nice. i would love to go test myself against the best in the world and be in a super super uh, competitive place to to do well so for me i i have i already know if if it's on and we're not still in this really bizarre covid world that i will be running utmb next year and that's not even until august but that's kind of um when when i think about what's next even though there'll be a lot in between i that's all i can think about um utmb so so cool, man. Awesome. Well, I'm going to keep an eye on you, man. I can't wait to hear about it. And hopefully we can chat after that too, because uh, I love talking with you and just, it seems like we have a lot in common because um, yeah, your story seems to align pretty well with mine. So I've had an absolute blast chatting with you, man. And uh, once again, congrats. I, I know how big of a deal Nolan's is. Um, it's still on my list. One of these days to happen. And uh, I just loved hearing all the details, man. Yeah. Well, Hey, I, I appreciate you take, taking the time to have me on. And um, obviously you're, you're not just, you're doing big things yourself. So I'm starting to see your podcast pop up everywhere. And I'm excited to see where it goes for you when you do do your attempt like reach out, message me, then and I'll, and ask as many questions as as you have come up. I'd be happy to help. Very cool. I appreciate it. I'll be uh, tugging on your coat sleeves for sure. Like, <laughs> cool. <laughs> where did you go up on this, man? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I really appreciate it, man. So, um, stay in touch, and uh, once again, congrats, and, and get yourself. I will. I'll, I'll, I'll be falling asleep here in like the next ten minutes. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> So. <laughs> well thanks again brother take care of yourself appreciate it all right we'll see ya
All right. How cool is he? That's it for now. If you guys need anything to help you do big things, give me a shout at big-things-crewing.com. If you need a crew or pacers for your ultra or supported adventure, we can help. Or if you need a coach, training plan, vitamins, supplements, I've got you. Big Things Crewing is here for you and we want to help. Life is short. Do big things, baby.